Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm from a company called B Squared, and I am the host of the Sendcast, the podcast for special educational needs. Each week, we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools, and to empower parents. In this episode, the amazing Carol Allen and John Galloway are back. On a previous podcast, we talked about technology and how it can be used to support SEND. We talked about understanding the tech you already have in your school. In this episode, we look at the next step, implementing technology in your school, the training required, communication, and working as a team to use the technology effectively. But before we get started, do you know what we do at B Squared? We create assessment products so that all schools can show progress for all pupils. B Squared was started around 25 years ago by my mum. She always struggled to show progress for pupils with special needs, so she created something that would keep her going until someone else made something better. 25 years later, we are still here supporting schools and SEND. One of the ways we have done this is by launching the Virtual Send Conference. It is a way to make CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. You can access it as a conference over the internet or as a series of videos that you can watch whenever you want. It is all about supporting pupils with special educational needs and disability. For more information, visit the website, www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. If you are a parent, we have also launched Parent Talk so that you can access support and advice in the same way. Now on with the podcast. This week's episode is looking at assistive technology, but looking at the wider implementation, the team, the technology, and the teaching. I'm here with Carol Allen and John Galloway. Carol is an education advisor for ICT and inclusion, in particular supporting the London Grid for Learning. She was named as one of the top 10 educators of 2018 in the field of education and technology. This was down to all her amazing work on inclusion. John is a specialist in the use of technology to improve educational opportunities for children and young people with special educational needs. He spends the majority of his time working with Tower Hamlets local authority, but he does a lot of work as a writer, consultant and trainer. Welcome to the show, Carol and John. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be back. Yeah, afternoon, Dale. Afternoon, Carol. We discussed assistive technology on a previous podcast, Low Cost, No Cost Technology. Hopefully, people are now realizing what they have and what it can do for them. The next step is then identifying how to use this in your school. This is where you have to look at the other factors, the team and the teaching. Okay. You mentioned that we talked about in the previous podcast about the access to what we might call inclusive or assistive technologies has improved. Can I just repeat that just in case, because I think it's important, is that uh, we're in a situation now where we've never had such easy access to functions in technology that improve the access for everybody. And what was once specialist, like touch screens and speech-to-text and text-to-speech and so on, is now generic. Every device, and we expect it on every device, is has those assistive technology functions, except we don't think of them as such. So we don't think tapping a screen and swiping and so on is uh, anything to do with assistive technology. It's simply how we come to access our devices. And so all, all of those things, we generally are using every day in our own use of technology. And so the message from that is simply to think about how you use tech and how that capacity 
can be supportive for the children that we work with. Yeah, yeah. It's all there. It's all there to be used. So if you if you think of it in layers, the generic offering of all the main players now is it includes accessible accessibility features and instead of them being hidden you know several layers down they're up there they're available so if i give you one example at one point speech to text or um, vocal commands was very much a special needs area and we had complicated devices and expensive software etc to make this happen and now nearly everybody you know speaks to siri or google or alexa or whoever asking questions, checking the time, checking the temperature, travel information, you know, all all kinds of things, dictating uh, an email rather than writing it. We, We are using things that were originally considered, if you like, very specialist. They're just part of everyday life now. And they're there on every platform, as John said. So if we've got all these things in place, we're really saying that for the, you know, the learner who's got additional needs, there's a plethora of support, technical access support to help them. And so what this podcast is about is, is how do you make that happen? It's all very well having the stuff but how do you make that happen? So, for example, back in the day when people bought very specialist stuff, something new would come out, a new bit of software or a new resource. And the schools that had the money would buy quite a lot of them. You would visit six months later and find a lot of it in the cupboard. And it partially because it maybe it was bought, bought and nobody knew how to use it except a member of staff who left. Partially it was bought because it was money at the end of the year and they thought it might be useful. They hadn't thought about the child first and then applying the technology to the needs of the child. And, you know, there there were so many reasons, but there was stuff that just was was wasted. And it's important to remember that there is there has to be a team with the technology around the child. It has to be a team approach. And by team, I'm going to include the parents. And I think we'll start with them in a minute. But the accessibility is there and it's there to be used, but it's it's generic and it still needs to start from the needs of the individual child. Yeah. So the, the message is that the biggest challenge is no longer the technology. It's no longer getting the technology in front of the child. The biggest challenge now is people understanding what the technology is, how it can help, and their part in making that technology work for each pupil. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this pandemic has really shone a light on the consistency. Let's start Mm. with home and school on the consistency of approach, because consistency is a word that I sense is going to be used a lot in this podcast. Because there, for, for example, if you wear glasses because you can't see very well, consistently, you will need to wear them in every lesson you go to. And you'll pr- and you'll need to wear them when you go home, and you'll need to read them if you're in the library, and you'll need to use them to do your homework. And you, if your parents take you out for a meal, you would maybe need to use them to read the menu, whatever. Nobody would suggest that those glasses were only used in English, for example, because there was a TA next to you to help you use the glasses and put your spectacles on. It doesn't work like that. And technology is the same. So if we take some of the lessons we've learned from the pandemic. 
during the recent awful, awful situation that we found globally. So this is this is what I'm talking about now. It's not based just on the UK. It's based on working and with people across the world. What we found is that obviously parents have been put in the position of being the home educators and home learning has taken over. And there is a very unequal playing field. And we may chat, in fact, we will chat about that later. So at the moment, I'm saying for everybody who did have internet access, who did have a device that the child was able to use. All right. So that's my kind of baseline for what I'm about to say now. They also had accessibility. And if they were old enough to, or if they've been shown correctly, because my view is we should always teach the youngsters what's there and let them make the choice of what's working for them so that they're independent, they can advocate for themselves. If they st- a lot of them were starting to use technology to complete work sent from school, that they wouldn't, the irony, that they wouldn't have been allowed to use in the classroom. And, and you know, I've had youngsters and parents telling me this, that, oh, well, he did, you know, he did his assignment, this is how he did it, but in class he would have had to handwrite it. And, and you know, they're getting better grades. There's less anxiety, there's less mental stress. The other huge difference, which isn't really about the technology, but I suppose it is, is the difference between synchronous and asynchronous delivery online. So a lot of students are reporting to me that the fact that um, a package of work is there online or maybe it's delivered and it's paper-based on their desk, you know, uh, however it works. The fact is that if they start something and it's a bit tricky, they can get up, they can go and get a drink. They can maybe just go for a a jog around the garden or kick a football against the wall. Now, inevitably, while they're doing that, they're they're still thinking about the problem and then they can come back to it and and they can address it. You can't, they can't do that in class, can they? It's synchronous. It's the, you know, here's the lesson. This next 40 minutes is geography. This is what we have to achieve in geography. And if you can't keep up and if your technology use not slows you down, but you have to kind of take extra steps, then maybe you never demonstrate in geography actually what you're capable of. And these students are saying that at home, with access to technology, with the accessibility features, and they're not even talking about specialist add-ons, they're talking about just what's there, they are happier and they're achieving better results. And surely that's the lesson we have to start with, isn't it? I think, can I just interrupt here? Because this asynchronous, synchronous bit is, is something that I don't think people think about. So it's one of the big benefits of distance learning and is in the classroom, you're synchronous. Yeah, you're teaching the class. They're all there. It's in the moment. If one child, there's a disruption and one child, everyone has to stop and you all have to wait. Is when I think the COVID happened and everyone ran to Zoom. Everyone rushed to Zoom and we do it all through Zoom and try to do lessons through Zoom. And it doesn't make much sense because you've always kind of got to go at the slowest person. If someone's got a lot of noise in their background, that's, 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 um could be distracting the whole class. It's one of the things, I think Zoom in a lot of situations is the wrong tool. Actually, what you're better off doing is the teacher recording the work intentions as a video and then supplying that video to the students. And that way, just as you were saying, Carol, they consume it in their own time. They can repeat it. They can watch it. They can pause it. They can rewind and do all that when it suits them, which to me makes a big sense. Can we just take that a step further, though? That 
yes, that's correct. But there is, in fact, a better stage again. And the better stage again is that you present asynchronous content, but every now and again in the week or the day or however you set it up, you do have synchronous online sessions because they have a value as well. And the ability to actually connect and ask that strange offbeat question of somebody and get an answer back. The students like those. They don't like that. They're not liking that if that is the only option. But what, what I really am finding is that a blended learning approach, which starts from an asynchronous basis, but allows that direct contact with the teachers also to kind of clear up a misunderstanding or to ask a query. Because let's be honest, there's parents tearing their hairs out because they can't understand you know the the material because and for a start because we were taught sometimes in different ways and they don't want to confuse the issue so my my where my understanding is developing and it is still developing because as this goes on we're learning more and more about these roots of learning is that um a blended approach uh, actually is coming out as being the most effective yeah and it's it's not just about the teacher talking so entirely it's the opportunity is that pupils can engage with learning in many different ways and one might be that the teacher presents and that's but but the the challenge i think for the, the current situation and for thinking towards the future is how do we create how do we exploit the opportunity for blended learning yes so and, yes. and, and we don't just want the teacher talking. We also want the pupil watching a video on YouTube, playing, I don't know, Minecraft or, uh, you know, some yeah. sort of game and talking about experience and understanding, uh, I don't know, so, say history through a computer game, a role play game and the kind of thinking that leaders might have to, have to take at the time. We might, yeah. you know, we can use the tools in browsers to be able to make texts like, say, Wikipedia, intelligible in a way or or accessible in a way that otherwise they might not be. So instead of just giving a child a text, we can give them, we can ask them to listen to a text. So there's, we can present that information in all sorts of different ways. And And I do think that short bursts followed by some reflection, thinking about collaborative learning and connecting between the pupils as well. Because online, we can create learning groups. And again, that can be synchronous and asynchronous. So it's not just in class, chat to your partner. It's online, have an exchange uh-huh. with your partner over the course of a few days. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and then perhaps yeah. summarize that and yeah. present that to the teacher. So there's all sorts of ways of yeah. working. So it, it's not one thing. No, but I think, but I think, John, initially what happened was, Dale's quite right, initially people just tried to replicate what happened yep. in the classroom yep. online. Yep. And, the, and, yep. and it was awful. I have to say, yep. I haven't seen very many good examples of that. I've seen one or two, but very few, very few. And if the child with additional needs is struggling in a normal classroom, in that kind of delivery and teaching, then we've added another layer of obstruction because they're not even in the room. So the teacher, if I'm if I'm the teacher now and I'm looking at a Zoom with everybody's little thumbnail faces, I cannot see that moment of misconception or puzzlement, which I can see in a classroom. So where I would normally say, oh, John, look, you know, um, how do you feel about this? In other words, to just check whether John's still with me, he's on track, he's feeling comfortable. That's really hard to do when you've got tiny little thumbnails of people 
and you're trying to get through. So it added, in fact, other barriers. But the minute people realized you could mix asynchronous learning effectively and then bring in and do some lives, you know, that I think we're moving towards a very powerful model of education. And that is why I'm absolutely passionate that we cannot. People say, oh, let's get, can't wait till we get back to school, can't wait. Well, I can tell you, a lot of my students don't want to go back. They they yeah. would they want to stay at home and have the stuff delivered, and they work at home. Yeah, and it's it's not that's not about being scared of school or anything. It's actually going. I can do this work easier with yeah. the tools I have at home, the way it's delivered. Yeah. Yes, exactly right, yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And let's and let's go to the other end of the continuum because additional needs for me includes gifted and talented students. All right. I know that some people don't do that to me. Anyone who requires over and above in whatever way, shape or form, it's additional needs. And can I say that I, my other thought is that everybody at some point in their life have additional needs. You might break an arm, which pre- prevents you from writing. That could be it. You could be in hospital having chemotherapy. That would produce it. You're, and, and please don't think I'm, I'm being um, kind of. I've got no word for it. I'm not making light of this, but somebody who has a bereavement or somebody who, you know, that can give you a period of time of having additional needs. It's one of the reasons I like the Scottish education system, because they recognise that somebody can have a temporary period of needing extra support and help. It doesn't have to go right through to a giant plan and all the big meetings. It's just saying for this period of time, this child needs this this extra help and I just think that the the some of the the very very bright children I've spoken to are also saying for different reasons do you know what give me the work I'm doing the work I can do it really quickly I'm not held back and then I can go on and develop and do x y and z and I'm not getting the teasing that I get in class and I can answer questions or email my teacher without that a lot of these children hold back in class because they get SWAT and worse, you know. Yeah. So it's both ends of the continuum, folks. It's it's everybody. There are some unexpected benefits, and we have to learn from what's been happening at home. Yeah. Well, one thing I would say it, with Zoom, Zoom is kind of something which happens on its own. It's a bit like doing all your work and then having a mobile phone call. It's, it's almost Zoom is almost disconnected, which is one of the things I don't like about it. Microsoft Teams is, to me, a much better solution, but they've only just finally rolled out the ability to get past nine people on screen at a time. At the start of the pandemic, you were limited to four, and it was whoever spoke the most was on Uh screen. Then it went to nine. I think they've now just got it up to 49, and it's going to be on. But what's great about Teams is, as well as having the video meeting, that sort of everyone together and discussion is alongside that you can have chat, you can have Word documents, you can work collaboratively on with multiple people all editing the same document. You can do, you can that. do that in Zoom. You can do that on other platforms. No, you can do all you that can in, do Zoom. It in Zoom. And you can do it in Google Meet. Yeah. All of the platforms yeah. offer these. But, but I think no what I mean what I mean with um, Teams is it's all linked together. So you've, everyone has accounts. It's a bit more linked together rather than doing Zoom. You often just get a link and a password and you're in. Microsoft Teams and Google stuff, to me, offers a more complete solution. But surely it's not about the technology. 
It's about what you can do with the no. technology. So it doesn't particularly yeah. matter what that platform... Well, the platform matters a little bit. But what I was going to bring us back to was that I think there's a couple of, of things we like in education. One is independence. And the, the learning we're talking about, this blended learning, this asynchronous, does promote independence. And the other one is responsibility. It's taking responsibility for your own learning. So it's not about the teacher prowling in the classroom to make sure that you're focused on what's in front of you. It's about here's your list of tasks. Off you go. You complete them and you put them in. Yeah. My, my concern about that, though, is the DFE research that came up with the number, I think it was 23% of kids who have not engaged in learning during this lockdown. Now, that's, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons. One is obviously access to technology and broadband. Another one may well be that the materials they're being presented with, they don't find engaging. It could be that they're presented in formats that actually aren't appropriate for them, or it could be that it's kind of, oh my God, I'm not interested in this. So there's another challenge for teachers is actually to, to, to try to think about the pupils they're working with and make connections directly into what their interests are and presenting the, the materials in such a way that they do engage. And it, it may be that it's around their interests. It may be it's around the types of materials that, that are given. It may be that those pupils need help in structuring the way that they work. But we need to view the pupils differently and review the way that we as professionals help them to manage their learning to the way that we, the, the more straightforward sense you have when you actually have them in a classroom all at one point. This is going to sound very contentious, but I'm coming out with it anyway. When you've got children trapped in a classroom, right, and you're controlling that classroom and you're, they're there for 40 minutes and you're going to do a, you know, a, a lesson and these are the objectives you're going to cover and the objectives are written on the board and we will get through these because we have to get to the next bit. And this, by the way, so I have every sympathy for the pressures put on teachers to chase through a curriculum or a syllabus. This isn't me having a go at the teachers at all. They're put under ridiculous, immense pressures where you suddenly find out a child can't do something because they haven't the building blocks below in order to yep. be able to do it. And yet they will say to you, the teacher will say to you, but I haven't got the time to go mm. back and, and bring that child back to where they should be. And you can see that happening. You know, I've got every sympathy for the teacher. But if they're in a classroom and they're in a situation and they're not connected and they don't engage and they don't do much, then instantly we go down the behavior strategy routes, don't we? And there's that whatever the behavior strategy or code for that school is, you know, you get your red warning, you get your grip, whatever it is. And then we get the children who just go, actually, stuff this and do something very disruptive or leave the classroom. And then we're into another scenario which has taken them out. What is interesting, again, is that online learning has allowed them to say, well, stuff this, go away. And nine times out of ten, they come back to it. They come back to it later. Once they've had their bit of a, this is too much, and it's because they've got that little bit of freedom. Well, three of us are sitting here. You're listening to a podcast, guys. But I definitely have a drink of water with me. I've got water. I know John so well. There'll be a cup of coffee hiding where I can't see him. And I'm pretty sure, and and Dale's got a can. He's just shown me a can of Pepsi Max. So we're all sitting. We wouldn't be sitting in a class with a can of Pepsi Max, a cup of tea. I think, you know, we're adults and we deny the same things to students. And, And it's these little things 
that connect children and make you know help them to say yeah I understand that's better for your learning so if we go back to that sort of team approach with this assistive technology and we've talked about lots of things I suppose what and it's blended learning what you're looking for is a, strate- a strategic way of doing things something that like these are our tools these are the ones we're going to use and you almost want to and as you're saying, go back to you want to choose which tools you're using, so you've got that consistency. Yeah. So you don't want one teacher using that Zoom, another one using yeah. Teams, another yeah. one using WebEx. Yeah. You want to use one set of tools so you all know it. And then it's sort of talking about and saying to them, is this asynchronous or is this synchronous? If you're doing asynchronous, how are they going to get support? How are you going to be available? And there's loads of different ways of doing it. And the way you do it in secondary and the way you do it in primary will be very different. So it's having that strategy, having the correct tools, thinking about, okay, how can we teach this? Is there a video on YouTube they can watch, which saves you trying to cover the same thing yeah. when it's already out yeah. there? Yeah. Then maybe adding additional bit from you on what we've just watched that. That was great. Let's think about this. How would this, and having those thought moments and then having that learning. And then it's all about how will you do that? And it's changing away from what you do in the classroom to a very, very different way. And once you have that strategy, it's got to go to all those people. Yes. So you give me, you give me a big list of people in that team, and it is a really big team. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go through it in a second, but before we do, I'm just going to tell you a big, a big change that all this has done to my own practice. So one of the jobs I do is I lecture on a skip course, an initial teacher training course, PGCE course. And it's a one-year course, which is, you know, compared to the luxury of having three years to train up a teacher, attempting to do it in a year, it's a very, very, it's a good course I I lecture on. I'm proud of what they do, but it's very pressured and it's very hard work. And it's just a year of relentless pressure for the students. Now, uh, you know that accessibility, inclusion, SEND, whatever you want to call it, People always say there's never enough of it on an initial teacher training course. You hear that time and time again. And whenever you do, whenever there's analysis of how, how many days or how many sessions they get, it's always impoverished. Now, I'm quite lucky because on a one-year course, I get two full days with the students face-to-face. And I can mix and match that. I can have it as a whole day or I can have it as four half days. I can change that so I can fit it in around. And I also push every other lecturer to have inclusion elements. So the person who's dealing with literacy and phonics, I push them to have inclusion bits. Maths is no problem. The guy's brilliant. He starts from century. So, you know, I do try and, and, and as, as is my want, control the world and make sure that they're, they're all doing what they should and we're consistent. But this summer and dealing this and having to look at good ways of me providing support and training online and experimenting with different things, I have now put in a blended approach for next year. So instead of trying to cram and choose what the key elements are for those two full days or four half days, I am again doing, I'm picking the face-to-face days are going to be more practical. We're going to do practical hands-on stuff. And um, I'm pretty sure it's either going to be once a week or once a fortnight. There's going to be coffee with Carol online one evening. And you can come along and I will have a a clear schedule of what I'm going to talk about. So there will be theory and the opportunity to have discussions about things that we've never had the chance to do before. 
And that, you know, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is I've taken what I'm seeing happening and I've applied it to my practice. And I can see that happening with lots of other things. It's so important, really is. I've got a question I've just written down, but I'm going to save it for later because otherwise we're going to go an even bigger tangent. Oh, sorry. Right. Well, <laughs> okay. Should we have a look at this team? Because Should we have a look at the team and, and how yeah, they hang together? Okay. John, do you want to start? Do you well, want... I can, well, I can do. The, the, the team will vary at different times. So it's not one fixed team. And the team may vary according to, well, the task. What, what's the purpose? But what we're thinking about is that in getting technologically implemented for the benefit of pupils, particularly those with special educational needs and disabilities, requires more than simply putting the technology in the hands of the child. And in some instances, the child is key to the team because they're the ones who may simply take that technology and take responsibility for it, take charge of it, and and do all the things that are necessary. Now, one of the things that's necessary is that they are given activities, content to use on that device. So that immediately brings into the team all the teachers that they encounter. Now, going back to the child, the child might be sufficiently uh, assertive to say to a teacher, where's my stuff? But a lot of the time, it may actually need other people, like, for instance, the senior leadership team, to be guiding and directing teachers to make sure that there's content and activities that's appropriate for that pupil to use on their device. There's, you know, the teachers themselves in simple things, like the first thing is actually their attitude towards the child using a device in class, because there is still a lot of um, antipathy that child may need to, they may need to actually think about how they organize their child, sorry, their class, in order to accommodate that child using technology, whether they uh, sit at the side so they're got, they've got a socket, uh, whether they sit at the front so that um, they can see the board more easily, whatever. So uh, then, then the role of people like teaching assistants and support staff, uh, simple things like actually the maintenance of the device. So who plugs it in and makes it and makes sure that it's ready for use every day? It, it, it may be that the device goes home and the parents plug it in overnight or, and, or the child themselves. But the, again, the parents are part of that team. I, I, there's a child I work with at the moment who uses assistive and augmentative communication, has been doing so for three years, but only in school. Well, that communication aid is never going to be that child's voice until that device goes everywhere with them and that that child is then using it you know in all situations including home but to use it successfully at home it may and outside school it may be that the parents are the ones who are having to program the grids that they're using so for instance they might be going to scouts so the parents are the ones who would have to make sure that they got the vocabulary for being participating in whatever the, the scout troop are doing at any one time. Again, it goes back to that initial point. The biggest barrier, the biggest issue is not the technology. It is implementing the technology. It's the skills and understanding of the people around them. It's uh, appreciating why that technology is in place and what that child is doing with it and finding the people who can support its use. It, it, I mean, it, it may even be that it's other kids in the class, whether that's carrying it from one classroom to the next, whether it's making sure it's plugged in, whether it's you know helping to get materials on and off or get things printed or handed in. Yeah, it, it, it is quite, uh, it, it needs a bit of thought. 
beyond simply, here's your laptop, off you go. Yeah, it, it needs quite a lot of thought. And two of the biggest barriers to add to what John's just said are, first of all, we often find that the device becomes the responsibility of one adult, let's say the specialist TA. And that means if that person leaves or is off or is absent, everyone else is clueless as to how to support this child. So we're back to consistency again and ownership. The device, everyone should know how to work with that device, how to make sure that that child is set up and you we cannot rely on the person who is paid maybe to do specific number of hours the second thing and we've not mentioned this yet but it comes into it's a huge thing with like parents being able to program is when the devices are locked down by the technical department so in particularly in big schools there's uh, uh, they've probably got their own technical department Uh, In little schools, they often share and they've got somebody for half a day a week or something like that. Now, I I totally get the fact that it must be frustrating if you set something up and then other people alter things and you have to reset and you have to redo. But if everything is totally locked down, let's take an iPad, for example, and somebody can't put on or the words they need in Clicker Docs. Or somebody can't do um, put an app on that somebody's told them about the pet that they there's going to be perfect for scouts. That's just a crazy situation. If you have to, one school I went in um, had to fill in in a book if they needed a bit of technical support done, or even if something was broken and not working, they filled it in in the book, and then the engineer would come in and work out and pr- a priority list. And if you didn't make the priority list, you didn't get done that week, and then he wasn't back till the week after. How many weeks is it going to be? for? for, for and, and I can tell you, it can be quite frustrating. So we do need, it, this is why something you said earlier, John, so important. It is about a lead from senior management. It's a mm-hmm. lead from the top, all right? A lead from the top that says, that is that, we're using AAC as an example, but that is that child's voice. And if that goes down, Everybody needs to know how to sort it and tech, you need to kind of come in and get it done quickly. You know, if it was a breathing tube, you wouldn't faff around, would you? You know, and it's and and it's so important. It's so frustrating. And what happens then is teachers will say, well, it's not worth it. I can't get it fixed. It's too much hassle. And then we're into SMT again, putting their money in it because the older the kit gets, the more times it breaks down. So you've got to have a refresh and a renew policy mm-hmm. so that you're working with reasonable level of kit, which doesn't break down so often. You know, it's not rocket science, but it, it has to come from the top, I think. Yeah. I think that that, that tech and being locked down, I've, I've encountered that so many times over the years, and it is so frustrating. And I get in a lot of situations, you can lock it down and it works fine. But where, especially assistive technology and special needs, where you've got lots of apps you're trying and you want to adapt things, you might even want to use the accessibility options on the iPad. And if they're locked away, what is the point? If if it becomes, I can only do a quarter of what I need on that device, as you said, you will not become, it will not become that first thought in your head. No. It will become the backup plan because it will take us weeks to get that done. And I have to say, one of the primary schools in my last job supporting a local authority, one of the primary schools had an engineer one day a week. But you know what? A student needed a device. And I went to see him and I explained the issues around it. 
And he gave me his mobile number. And he just said, Carol, if that device goes down, text me. I'll come and sort. And that, it didn't go down. It was fine. But the point, that's the kind of can-do attitude of somebody who's going, yeah, I see how important this is for this lad, you know, and so I will help. But it, that's rare. That's rare. <laughs> the, the other thing I think we need to recognise, that it's a not about uh, a single device. That for pupils... Yeah. One device will not do everything they need, just just the same as with us, you know. So in providing them with a Chromebook, we allow them to get uh, content off the internet, perhaps. We allow them, allow them to respond through the keyboard and so on. But perhaps they like to listen to books while they're walking. Well, it's not appropriate to take out the, co- the Chromebook and sling it over their shoulder. They need um, a mobile device, you know, a smartphone that they can listen to as they're walking along. Or if we're asking them to make a report about something, again, it's most likely that it's going to be a smartphone or a digital camera, that that's what they need, rather than simply using the camera in the Chromebook. So we need to think about not just what they're doing with the technology, but what is the cam- what, what's the appropriate cam- technology to do the task and the activity that they need to do at that time. So, you know, th- there's there's kind of not just the team around that child and their technology, but also the technology around that child and the the learning that we want them to engage with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we've got we've got layers of we we need to in the classroom we've got the teacher. Hopefully, we've got some TAs. Um, you might have voluntary helpers. Yeah. You might the student might have a one to one. You need to make sure if you've got voluntary helpers, are they comfortable with you know conversing? Let's say if it's AAC again with the child, do they understand? The amount of time it takes a child to formulate a complex answer. Do they understand how to phrase things to get what they need fairly swiftly, and then if you know, wait and give the child time if if they want to initiate something. We've got learning mentors. Learning mentors are, you know, in my experience, often don't get too involved with the tech, but they should do because it's a key part. It's a, and somebody's going to write in and, and email me on Twitter and stuff and say, yes, I'm a learning mentor and I do. And for that, I say thank you. I just say thank you because it is a key part of, of that child's educational experience. Senkos, it's tough, isn't it? Because Senkos, some Senkos have a proper amount of time to be able to do their job, but keeping up to speed with What's available in EdTech is difficult, and the Senko is often the person who might have to write the bid for something or uh, write it into um, an application for a grant or a plan. And so what I'd say to Senkos is, if it isn't your bag, if tech isn't your bag, you need to have good phone of friends and help. But some of the things, places we can get help are, are there. And so we've got external professionals and specialists. and most of the people I know in the field are very helpful, you know, and they will share, you know, they're not going to go and do it all for you, but they'll put you in the right direction or say what they think about things. Some local authorities still have, but there's very, very few, uh, an ICT inclusion advisor. At one point, every single local authority had that, and now they are like hen's teeth. But what is really empowering are some of the commercial providers I have to say the the SEND world is a good one. It's a kind one. It's a collaborative one. And although the providers are all there to, you know, plug their own product and make money from their own product, 
they're also, I, I, you know, so sharing and so open about the wider educational issues. And if you're not sure about a product, if you phone them or email them, they're always willing to help and to advise. And the good ones will say, yes, this is how my product will help you. But actually, they, they might not go as far as recommending somebody else, but they might say, but actually, we can't do what you're looking for. You'll need to look elsewhere. A lot of them offer training and external programs. So the very fact that we're on the Sendcast now talking about this is beyond the scope of the product that B Squared, you know, ha have and offer. They are giving you access to a whole range of people speaking around wider educational issues that will provide an effective context for you to use their product and other people's products, you know, um, and, and, what a great thing that is when companies are prepared to go beyond, if you like, their own parameters and say, this is so important. And so we will support it. That's why we do it. It is. There's, there's, there's so much out there. It, it, the channels years ago, the channels used to be clear for information. There was a designated person, the local authority. There was that show. You went to there. There was that. It was quite, there was a yeah. few channels. So everyone rent the same channels. It was great. The internet, gave us all lots more channels, which basically meant the flow of information has kind of been lost because there's so many sources and it's all about the tiny little bubbles of information. So it's not clear and it is, and then it's time. As we always say, time and money. So it's about Senko's having enough time to do this and yeah. phoning. For, but it all takes time. And just the idea of this podcast is just to share information easily in a way that people can consume to help change lives yeah. of children with yeah. CND. And of course, they're asynchronous. So if you start listening yep. to them and the phone goes and you have to, or a child, your child needs help, it's fine. You just hit pause or, or stop and you can come back to it later. You know, that's, that's the beauty of the offering and offerings of this type. I just think they're marvelous. I think they're really good. Yeah. And I think it's also about, about sharing uh, in the, the broader sense that we none of us are working in isolation and actually it's probably not a good thing to be working in isolation so again no, no. going back to thinking about pupils using technology for inclusion you know if i'm assessing a child to think about what it is might be useful for them i speak to a very broad range of people and bring a lot of different people into that conversation including the child to just yes. you know to, to have a sense of what what the capacity is amongst that group, what the views are amongst that group, uh, what is it that we're going to be able to do that is going to bring about a, a successful outcome, whatever success means, and the optimum outcome for that pupil. But uh, as Carol says, one of the challenges is that that group changes, you know, that, that teaching assistants come and go. Class teachers quite often change every year. Uh, in secondary schools, you know, you, you, you select subjects, you do carousels. Uh, well, you did. I don't know what's going to happen in September. So, you know, you, you have to be alert to those changes and to the impact of those upon the, the team supporting the child and therefore upon the child's use of technology. So it is, you know, it's all the way through. It's about having an awareness, having an awareness of the tech, the child, the situation, the context, um, and, and all the, the variables uh, that there are. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. I think we should perhaps um, address the biggest variable, and that again, that's 
come through in the pandemic, and that's the inequality of access. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be wrong if we if we didn't mention it in this podcast. And I'm not just talking about at home, actually. I'm talking about across from school to school to school as well. So you can have inequality within schools. Let's suppose, I, I know I started by saying that all the platforms are equal. They all offer equal things. They do. But there are some schools or maps or trusts or whatever that will decide to go down a single route of technology and say, let's say everybody's going to have iPads, right? And and I'm not against iPads at all. I think they're fabulous. But they can't do everything. None of these devices, as John said earlier, can do everything. And if you say that's our technology tool, that's the way we're going forward, then you are limiting inevitably what uh, you know what there'll be one or two children who need to go beyond that and that's where john was talking about a mixed economy and this is the same for but for anything you know if you said everybody is going to have chromebooks which many schools in the states are doing and they say chromebooks are what all of our students will have but we you know we can't do there's nothing else again that's equally restrictive then some schools have got very poor internet access. They're in whole old buildings where wireless doesn't work or it doesn't work up that wing. It only works if you're, you know, in the main bit of the school. And, and so we've got inequality in schools and then we've got inequality at home. And, you know, that's really tricky because the pandemic has given us story after story of, let's say, a mother of five and the only mobile phone and internet. She only has her mobile phone and internet access, no other devices. And if four of those five children at different stages in school, you know, they couldn't do it. They just couldn't do work. So we do have to talk about inequality. Yeah, I think it's that school one is quite an important one. The the home one is crucial, and the government have done have various schemes they've tried, but there's been various uh, reports it's not been that effective, and various things have happened. Uh, but I think with that school one, it's tech is expensive. If you're in a two form entry primary school and you've got you're replacing your interactive whiteboards with new interactive TVs. That costs tens of thousands of pounds. If you want to go down the iPad, it's tens of thousands. And you haven't got that money in your budget. So it's got to be a, a strategic decision. And it's got to be thinking about an ongoing IT spend to make sure your technology is up to date. And trying to do that on a really, really tight budget is really hard. And you could end up with a school full of old technology, which is groaning, it's barriers, it's, it's, it's not actually helping anyone then trying to change that in that school is hard. And I think if you've got, from people we've worked with, that teachers have gone home with laptops that should have gone in the bin a couple of years ago, and they're now delivering lessons over Zoom on this really old equipment, which should have retired because it is so slow and it is just painfully slow. And my colleague John has upgraded a couple of laptops for teachers because he knows how to do it and he can make them faster. Yeah. But it is, it's making sure you have a strategy for your IT in a school. And to me, it's also thinking about when you have uh, that EHCP funding, as you said, going back to the beginning, is thinking about those aids and that net technology for that child's life and not just in school, at home as well. And the COVID 19 has changed the rules everywhere. And I think, yeah, there's the, the deprivation and all the factors is it, it will have a big impact on those people. Mm. Uh-huh. And 
Yeah. I'm interested to see how the government is going to tra- try and challenge that long term. Well, quite. And your point about strategy is, is, you know, you need a government strategy or a political strategy for how this is going to come about. You know, the government has negotiated an education license with Microsoft for, you know, also every pupil across the country. So how about engaging with broadband providers? Yeah, for how, how they're going to provide broadband to every school-aged child in the country. Um, and and uh, devices, you know, there is evidence that if you, when, when, if every child has a device, you cut down on your photocopying bill, you speed up your marking process. There's some of the admin functions uh, are vastly improved, connections with home, that kind of thing. But you do need a lead. And you're right, there's that need for the lead at a school level. There's the intent, there's the ambition, the vision. But I think we, you know, Carol's point about the more or less the postcode lottery, or in fact, you know, it's more than that. It's a school-based lottery to some degree. It needs to be addressed from the government down. And this is not a government that I can, I think, would want to interfere in that way. I think as we might discuss later, we can talk about how governments in school, it, it, how they interfere in education. But here's an instance where they could make some very practical steps. There is the laptops for pupils uh, in deprived, or pupils uh, with, with certain characteristics who may be considered deprived. But, you know, I work in Tower Hamlets. We have 10 of the, 10 of the poorest wards in the country are in Tower Hamlets. And the borough got 442 laptops from the, the last um, government scheme. Well, that's, what, three-year groups in one school? You know, we have nearly 100 schools. Yeah? So it needs to be better thought out, and it's going to be a significant investment. But I think it is one, obviously, uh, that they need to make, and one that I think has been a long time coming too. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think we could uh, talk about the LGFL initiative, yeah. actually, because there's a lot of schools that could benefit. Yeah from what John Jackson's attempting to do. Bridging the Divide. He's, Bridging the Divide is the name of it. And if you if you go on Twitter and look for it or just Google Bridging the Divide, what he's doing is trying to address this inequity by um, bulk buying. I think, I, I don't know the details, but I think he's signed a huge agreement to, there's a, there's a website and it shows you the devices that he's kind of guaranteed to have so many thousands bought of. But what it offers you is the economies of scale. So if you're a small school and you're looking to upgrade your tech, you can join in and you can get more for your money. So if you've got some funds to spend this year, it makes more sense to get more bits of kit by joining as a collaborative and working together. That's the that's the first scheme of its kind. There may be others coming. There may be prices reduced from, from certain suppliers. You know, I think I think it's an interesting time to see see where this goes, but it's the first one that I've had notice of. And so if you're in that position and you're looking to increase tech because you're going to do blended learning, there's a there's an offer for you. Go and have a look. Yeah. I think I think the DfE did do something like that. That whole idea of economies of mm-hmm. scale. Yeah. I think the DfE did something in my head about two mm-hmm. years ago. They did. But it's one of those things. I heard about it from an email from the DfE, and never heard of yeah. it ever again. Exactly. I don't, I don't think they exactly. got the buy-in. But it was. I don't think enough people yeah. said they wanted to to join in, yeah. and so it didn't happen because you've got to you've got to have enough people to make it work. So 
you know, I, but I think it has to be a way forward, doesn't it? That if you're a small school with a tiny budget and you've got a leaking roof and you've got a fence with holes in, which you're going to get done for, for safeguarding on your first offstead if those holes are still in the fence, you can see why you need to make the most of your money that comes in. Otherwise, and, you know, particularly then if you add the fact you're in a deprived area where coffee mornings aren't going to raise any funding for special things, you know, there's people always come up with those answers, but that doesn't, it isn't always the case. So I do think that initiatives like this deserve, you know, looking at. Will there be more virtual schools? Yeah, I think so. So currently you have. You have a school, you have EA. I think there's a big, because there's a book called Ready Player One and there was a film. And in the book, it's quite interesting. They sat there and realized it was cheaper to supply children with the virtual reality headsets than it was to build and maintain physical schools. I would absolutely love to be part of a team that set up a virtual school. There are so many children who would love it, would benefit from it, would be much happier. I would, oh, Yes, the, I, I hope the answer is yes, right? That's what I'm, that's what to me personally. To me, I really hope the answer is yes. There are some children who just don't fit our school system, will never fit our school system, but they are perfectly capable of learning. They're perfectly capable of achieving. They are perfectly capable of passing exams and moving on to whatever job they desire. And they deserve that opportunity. So, yeah, I, I'm up for it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, to me, but as, as you said, it comes back to that blended approach. So there, you can do a lot of learning on learning at home. You can yeah. do it asynchronous. But I do think if you have that virtual school, is in reality they shouldn't be spread out across the country. You probably want a virtual school with an authority, yeah. So that every so often they could meet up, and instead of having a school, you could go to one of those conference rooms in a hotel. Yeah, of course you could. And listen, the other thing that it might revolutionise. I know we're not going to, you know talk about this but hospital education right and yeah, and yes. children who are out of school tutor you know who, who out of school for whatever reason and see a tutor for for two hours once a week or two hours twice a week if they're lucky well you know surely now we can up those offerings you know yes. and if we had a virtual school we can up those offerings and for whatever reason that the, the person can't participate full-time in a school, should not limit what they're allowed to learn. It shouldn't limit their education. And we've, you know, there are so many parents, again, SEND world at the moment, online saying, you know, when I think it was about a week ago and it's, there was a Boris statement about everybody will be back in school in September. We will there. And, and it was, and was there not even a, a statement about head teachers would be able to report and people would be fined if they didn't send their children back? Loads of parents of children who've been excluded for school or been told there's no suitable place or or are holding their their children at home until there is you know they're going to meet the needs of a plan or there is a suitable school. All of these are saying my child's been out of school for twelve weeks nobody's you know bothered about it. my school's been my child's been out for three months oh my school's child's not been in the school for two years nobody's going to find me if i don't send him back it's the hypocrisy it's the bloody hypocrisy my nephew's been out of school for two and a half years right and that's wrong it is it is wrong so i, I that's that's my experience of is just watching my sister go through it all yeah okay so 
having discussed, if you like, the team around the child, the team around the technology, I think, John, we need to now consider accountability because it's already been highlighted that Ofsted visits will start from September, which I, I find slightly challenging. But it's this accountability. And the first issue about accountability also, let's take it back one layer, is governors. How can people be held to account if the people who are watching don't have an understanding of what they're looking at and what they're assessing? So it is quite mm. difficult if at governor level they do a learning walk and are making judgments, but they don't understand. And at Ofsted level, let's say they don't understand what is good practice and poor practice, for example, in uh, including a child with AAC uh, in, in a classroom. Yeah, and we've also got the uh, local authority because yeah. you know the local authority, regardless of the school type, the local authority retains responsibility for making sure that needs are met according to education, health and care plans. And so, you know, local authorities have to have an understanding of what the pupil's learning needs is and how technology can help those to be met. It helps if that is written into an education, health and care plan. Uh, but quite often, those can be written in such a way that they are fairly, they're vague enough not to financially commit or make long-term financial commitments. Mm-hmm. Or is that too cynical? And, uh, and so, you know, there's the LA role in that. There's the Ofsted, there's the, the governors. I think there's an element of uh, parents helping to hold schools to account. You know, uh, quite often, Parents of pupils with special educational needs and disabilities often work hard to make sure that that child is included and their learning needs are met. They they retain engagement with schools and can help to to kind of monitor provision and challenge and question uh, and and you know try to ensure that the the appropriate use of technology is in place. And there's also those situations where a a pupil will be using technology effectively at home, but they're not using it in school for all sorts of reasons. So there's there's that element of um, questioning and challenge appropriately from parents to the schools that their their, their children attend. Yeah, and also from an educator's perspective, I always say to people, Be proactive about sharing what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm. So Mm. having having a small induction sheet to to my class or my lesson saying you might see somebody do this and this is how we will do with it and this is why we do this. So being proactive, and I'm happy to talk to you about this afterwards, but what you're doing is highlighting that this is the way we, we we work with this. Yes, he's sitting on his own and he's using headphones, and he's listening to text. But before they have to ask the question, give them the answer and say you're happy to have a follow-up discussion later. If you wait till they ask you, don't forget, you. even the best of us, are. you do feel challenged a bit if somebody watches you work and then asks you what can seem like quite a direct pertinent question and rather than then you're put on the back foot and you're defensive if you're proactive and you say but yeah okay come in uh, and in science but you might notice that that child's going to be doing it this way and this child's going to be doing it this way 
give them some quick notes and be happy to talk afterwards. And do you know what? I find that is the nine times out of 10, there's not a question afterwards. They usually are very grateful and they say, thank you, because I understand, you know. Yeah, it's giving them the information before they draw the wrong conclusion. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And, you know, it's it's such a simple thing to do. It's not, I'm not talking about a, two tons of work. It's the kind of thing we would have to produce anyway for other formats. So all it is is taking that information and giving it to them quickly. Yeah, one school I visited had a lovely thing on the door of the classroom. It get, this was a, a, in America and it was on the door of the classroom. And it said, when you come in, Please don't speak directly to any of the students, but if they speak to you, please answer. Because what they were trying to do at that point was elicit communication. So they wanted the children to initiate conversations and to initiate questions. So they, and I thought that was such a clever thing that, you know, I knew that when I went in there, I was to, I smiled and I was nice. I went around and looked. And if anyone spoke to me, I answered and I answered fully. But I didn't do that usual thing that you do. Oh, what are you doing? Show me what this is. Are you enjoying? Didn't do any of that. So you can, you can make that person part of your classroom instead of, you know, just a kind of remote observer. And it's important to remember, because obviously when you see a child in a wheelchair, when you see a child with a hearing aid, you generally know why something's happened. Mm. But when it's one of those invisible ones, yeah. and you don't know why that's happening. Yeah. You haven't got any clues right in front of you. So having something on the door, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And one of, the key, one of the key things that I come to time and time again when I'm supporting educators, particularly those who work and have students with profound, complex barriers to learning, You know, some of those youngsters take a long time to formulate a reply. They take a long time to take an information in, to to formulate a reply and to respond in whatever way they can. And when you feel under pressure that somebody's watching you, you start to provide extra prompts, extra hints, you know, because you kind of think they're going to think they're not going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And what I say is if you tell the people beforehand Julie will take much longer to reply and I will just sit there waiting because she will get there and it's important that she goes. If you tell them, then they're with you and they're as delighted when the answer comes as you are. Otherwise, you find yourself falling into that trying to make everybody perform for the visitor, which is no good to anybody Mm. really. Yeah. Sometimes children will need that additional support. You'll give them a question. They might need some prompting. Yeah, they might. But other children, it is they're formulating and they're processing. If you're saying things, you're interrupting their process and they start again. Yeah. So it's knowing, it's back to where we started. It's knowing that child, knowing how they're operating. And if you're being held accountable, understanding that if you're proactive about just giving a little nugget or two to explain why your approach with this child is different. So this child I prompt because they might need a little help with vocabulary. This one I wait. This one, I let them answer 14 times because they like to answer and put their hand up. And, and that's why I do that, even though it's the same answer every time. And it's just explaining your process and your teaching. That's yeah. is, is your best help with accountability, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. We've gone through a lot today. Whistletop store. I'm sure we could have gone for another couple of hours covering various aspects. There's lots of tangents. I could have seen we've gone down. I managed to keep my mouth quiet rather than set you off again, Carol. <laughs> so a big thank you for coming on the show today. I think for me, one of the things 
I mean, a lot of it kind of makes sense. But one of the things that stuck out in my head is that cons- consistency. And you think you're being consistent, but it is that at home and at school. So being consistent for the eight-hour day is not enough. Eight hours at home. What about on before school? Is actually, if you're doing this communication aid for that child to really embed it and implement it, is it's got to always be there. It's got to be always mm. be available to that child or person whenever they need it. So taking it off them when they leave the school. And sitting on the transport home or making that journey home and then being at home without that, they'll find a different way of communicating. It will really confuse them if they're doing two different ways. So, yeah, I think mm. that consistency is not just in school. It's in school and at home. Yeah. That's, 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 a big, that's a big thing for me. And it's also that not relying on one person. That's a probably a big, another big one. Yeah, it's it's making sure lots of people know how to use that device. And I did like the other ch- the other children because sometimes, especially if work's got to be printed out, another child can always run to the printer. Yeah, yeah of course. Things like that. It's not a little bit. It doesn't always have to be this. And that's again, when you're in that world of that laptop, life's great. But actually, if you need to print that work out, then that has to go somewhere. And yes, there's lots of little bits, but it is more than one person is a very good tip. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed cool. chatting. See you, lads. Yep. It's been fun. Excellent. So before we go, any last bits you want to say, Carol? Just, yeah, don't be frightened to make a team. Don't feel you have to do it all yourself. If you're a one-to-one TA, that doesn't mean you have to do every single thing. You know, reach out to colleagues. If you're an ed teacher, an educator, well, we're all educators, whoever you are. Reach out and make a team because, A, it's going to be stronger. B, we've got the consistency that we've banged on about. And C, you, you're covered if, if for some reason somebody leaves, they're ill, something. The child's experience shouldn't depend on who's in the classroom that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think beyond that, because you have a team, to be, to be aware that you don't have to know everything. So it's all right to say, I don't know. And to make the the responsibility within whoever's in that team, somebody would know or somebody will find out. Yeah. So, you know, not knowing is not, not knowing is is actually fine. You know, (laughs) something that happens, it happens as something that happens to all of us. And don't be afraid to to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're always learning. And I think that thing was. Yeah. As you said, Carol, don't be afraid of standing up and being that lead. Is I think you'll find that, yes, often a classroom teacher is the leader of that classroom and is responsible for the deploying of the TAs. But I don't think any t- teacher would turn around to a TA who said, I think we should do this, will say, no, no, sit down. We're not doing that. Yeah. I yeah. think generally every person will sit there and go, oh, that would be amazing. Yes, it would be. It would be brilliant. My TAs, yep. when I was classroom-based, my God, they saved my life so many times. And we de- we je- we honestly, honestly worked as a team. And, and it, they are my friends to this day. I can't thank those people enough. I really can't. They were brilliant. So, yeah, never be afraid of standing up and saying, I think we should do this. I'll lead mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. Or yeah. you might even be sure how to lead, but generally if you stood up, you're probably the best person to do it. Yes. Because you've already seen the need. <laughs> and it is, is you'll find that 
often people think about it, but they've, they haven't got time. There's so many things because life is very busy for all of us. But having somebody to take that lead, and sometimes I find in life, I just want someone to tell me what to do. It's not that I don't know what. It's not that I'm not. I don't want to help. But we could go in so many different ways. If you just say, "Look, this is how you can help me." I've got these four things. I'll go. Yeah, I'll do that one and that one, and I'll get them done. But sometimes it's me thinking about it and someone else doing that for me makes my life a lot easier. Yeah. Most people feel the same. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Cool. So that's kind of everything. We So far, I don't think we've mentioned a huge amount of links, but I will try and tease some links out of Carol and John to share with you. I will see if I can find that LGFL. What was the name of that thing? Bridging the Gap. Bridging the Gap. Hopefully I won't go down a uh, people premium rabbit hole searching for that. That's diminishing the difference at the moment. We change, I'm sure, in a year or so. So big thank you to Carol and John coming on the podcast today. You'll be able to find the show notes on the website, www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed already, you can go. You subscribe by going to our website, www.thesendcast.com, and you'll see on there all the usual places you can listen. Uh, and you can also sign up for our newsletter there to keep up to date with the latest news and each release. You can find us all on the social media channels, on Twitter at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast, or on LinkedIn, just search for Sendcast. If you want to get us in touch, if you want to let us know your thoughts, suggest topics or anything else, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you've enjoyed The Sendcast, why not look into the virtual Send conference? This is a conference that, like The Sendcast, is run by B Squared. What makes this difference to other conferences is access across the internet. The conference runs twice a year in March and November, and each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help schools. You can buy tickets for events, future or past. The videos are always available. So you can buy a ticket when we launch them for the event in November, or you can buy them for the tickets in March this year, or November last year, or March last year. They're always available. The cost for each conference is £60, and this covers the entire school, not per person. This is another thing where technology makes life a lot easier because you can actually replicate things. You don't have to have bums on seats and pay for each person and all that lot. It makes life a lot more effective. So as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount just by using the code Sendcast10. And we've also recently launched Parent Talk, which is a series of 12 pre-recorded online talks aimed to support parents and carers of children with special educational needs and disability to help improve their knowledge and give them more support. Tickets for Parent Talks are only £10 each, and you can watch the content when you like, as much as you like. You can find out more about Parent Talks at www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parents. And for the main uh, Virtual Send Conference, just www.virtualsendconference.com. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next with another episode of The Sendcast. So it's goodbye from me. And bye from Carol. And bye from John. Bye.